This morning, uh, we have with us all the way from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, Pastor Keith Tusi, and uh, Pastor Keith is, well, we, we call him a general in the faith because he really is a general in the faith. He has been a minister for over 30 years, has planted seven churches, and uh, really has marked the world. And when I say that, uh, I don't mean that lightly. He has literally marked the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, he was the president and head of Operation Rescue, uh, which was uh, a great pro-life movement that was fighting uh, for the life of unborn babies and for women around the world. Uh, one of my favorite uh, 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 parts of his introduction I love to tell is that Pastor Keith has been imprisoned for the gospel, for preaching the gospel, not just in America, but around the world. This guy has been locked up for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many people you know that have done that? How many people do you know that have literally shaken a nation and nations of the world for the cause of Christ? Uh, so we are in the presence of a man with a sincere heart, a genuine passion, and a great desire to see the gospel of Jesus Christ go into all the world. And he's unashamed of the gospel. And you're going to hear an unashamed message today. You're going to get equipped, empowered, and challenged to rise up and win. Amen. Uh, so let's give him a great big Alabama welcome, Pastor Keith Tusi, this morning. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, good morning. It's so great to be at Liberty and to have Liberty. I like that liberty now. I like that. I'm all about that. Faith now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Come on. Uh, let, let's do something now in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. I, I mentioned yesterday in the seminar that time is a measurement of vision. Vision is always connected to a timeline, and I think there's no better time than right now. So I know what you're waiting for, but God's not waiting for anything. He's already done everything he's going to do, redemptive wives, about getting you to the next place. You ever think about that? So I like now. Hallelujah. <laughs> if you're a guest here at Liberty this morning, or maybe the first time, maybe looking for a church home, uh, this church is a part of something called NRP, the Network of Related Pastors. They're accountable church. They're accountable financially, morally, doctrinally, and even missionally. So you're in a safe place for a dangerous message. This is a good place to get connected and grow in your faith. Hallelujah. So if you're coming back into the faith, as we were worshiping today, I really felt like maybe even this is a prophetic word for somebody this morning. Maybe maybe you've been out of church for a while and, and, and you realize, look, I, I got to get back. I got to get reconnected. This might be your divine appointment today. So you take, take advantage of that. Test the waters. Meet Pastor Keith. Uh, I can assure you they're people of integrity and love, and the team they have around them are great men and women, and uh, they'll treat you like you belong to Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. We had a great time yesterday. Uh, I, I preached for three hours yesterday. I had a great time anyway. Hallelujah. I don't, I don't know if it wore everybody out or not, but we had a, we had a great time. Uh, Pastor Keith asked me just to do some stuff on leadership. We took the life of Nehemiah, just the first chapter really, and talked about 13 principles, 13 keys of leadership that are just right there. And I ended with this one, that great leaders, good leaders are not surprised by opposition. 
okay? And we've got to believe and we've got to understand that the opposition you're feeling in your life is real. You're not paranoid, okay? Matter of fact, I made the statement, you're not paranoid because they really are out to get you, all right? <laughs> when I was young in ministry, I had the fortune, uh, Penny and I were first married, to travel a little bit on the weekends with, a, with an evangelist, and uh, he imparted something to me. He told me one time, he said, listen, there are people out there that believe there's a demon behind every bush. He said, don't you believe it? There's two. <laughs> But it seems like in the body of Christ, we go to extremes. Have you noticed that? The devil loves extremes. So we get all extreme where we think it's the devil because we can't get a parking place at the mall. You know, we blame everything on the devil. We give him too much credit. And on the other hand, we kind of pretend like everything's somebody else's fault and there really is no demonic activity. And if, we'll, if, if the enemy can get us to camp in either one of those, he wins. We've got to understand that we've got to have the lordship of Jesus in our life. And part of that lordship is identifying the enemy of the Lord Jesus. The devil is the enemy of the Lord Jesus. That We're in covenant, so that makes him my enemy. Keith and I are in covenant. If, if he's got an enemy, if you mess with him, you mess with me. We're a package deal. That's how it works, okay? We don't have to pray about it. So the devil is God's enemy. There is a real devil. He was thrown out of heaven for trying to be like God. He tried to usurp God in heaven. There is a real spiritual being called the devil. He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He's not like God. He's an angel. He's not a supreme being. And there are demons, fallen angels, that are his imps that carry out his bidding, and they are real, and they are at work in the world today. And we do not have to be afraid of them, by the way. They actually are afraid very much of you. And uh, so I want to talk to you today about engaging the enemy. I want to pick up on that last point yesterday and talk about engaging the enemy. I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians, uh, the 10th chapter, the first 10 verses, and then I'm going to comment on these verses this morning as we go through this. I'm reading from the New American Standard translation. It says, Now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent, I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous, <clears throat> excuse me, against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. You are looking at things as though they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave you, gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame, for I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unoppressive and his speech is contemptible. 
Now, a lot of times we cherry pick verses in the Bible. Like there's a couple verses here about warfare that I've read books about that, are, you know, have some interesting points, but really have nothing to do with the context, the original meaning of what's being said here. So I want to attempt to put this in context. The one thing you got to understand about warfare is this. Know what the enemy's objective is. What is he trying to accomplish? A lot of times we get engaged at a superficial level. We know there's something happening, but we lose the big picture of what he's trying to do. And I'm going to give that to you in a snapshot. What he is trying to do is get you to identify with what he says about you rather than what Christ has already decreed about you. Now listen, here's how outrageous the devil is. He said to Jesus, the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, cast yourself down from the pinnacle of this temple. Do you remember him saying that? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, it is written. Jesus answered him with the Word of God. If the devil challenged the sinless son of God's identity, if he said, if you are really a child of God, what do you think he's going to do to you? If. If are the words of condemnation. Because are the words of affirmation. When the enemy is trying to sift you, he's always, always going to be ifing you. If you were this, if you were a good mom, if you were a good wife, if you were a good husband, if you were a good disciple, if you were a good man, if, 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 always based on the human ability. God says, because I died for you, because I love for you, because I have a purpose for you, because I've provided, because, 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 hallelujah. And so this is literally the battle that is happening in this text. Actually, in reality, this text is not even a teaching about spiritual warfare. It's something even better than that. It's a biography of Paul's own warfare. He's sharing the lessons that he's going through as the enemy is t attacking his identity. See, we have been made in the image of God. And so the enemy is going to do everything he can to destroy that. So here in verse 10, listen to what they're saying about Paul. And listen, these were people that were preaching. These were people that were challenging him. They were challenging his authority. They were challenging his ministry. And this is what they were saying about him. For they say, you know what? I found that they say go to every church I've ever been at. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. They say. When someone comes to me and says they say, so listen, they say don't go here. And if they say don't have a name, I don't want to hear about it. Okay? They say. They say. Oh, that's just the devil right out of the chute. They say, his letters are weighty. You know that Apostle Paul, he can write a mean letter. And the truth was, if you read the letter of 1 Corinthians, it's a little tough. Some of you would quit this church if Pastor Keith wrote your letter like that. You are carnal. You are fleshly. You are earthly minded. You are selfish. You are interested in yourself. You don't care about, he said all that to them. So they were right. He wrote a mean letter. Okay. All right. And strong, but his personal appearance is unimpressive. And his speech is contemptible. Yeah, the guy can write a mean letter, but he's a terrible preacher. If, if he could only preach, 
if he could only have a slick appearance. If, if, if. So that's, they're attacking the Apostle Paul. So this teaching he's given or this biography he's giving is literally walking us through and showing us how he's going to defeat the enemy and how he has defeated him. How he's going to engage him, not on the turf the enemy wants to engage him on. You never fight the enemy on his turf. One of the rules of warfare is you fight the enemy on the turf of your choosing. You know, after the Battle of Alamo, Sam Houston was, you know, gathered up his motley crew. You know, they were undergunned, undermanned, and they were moving back, and they went to Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson was Sam Houston's military mentor, and they showed him a mat, and they said, things are really bad. We've got wiped out at the Alamo. Houston's in retreat, and Jackson said, show me the map. And they showed him the map. He said, he's not retreating. He's setting up for victory. It's exactly what he said. And one of the greatest military flips happened in an eight-minute battle, undergunned, undermanned, they wiped out Santa Ana's troops, they, they inflicted 600 casualties on them to their 11 casualties, and Santa Ana was done. That's the last we ever heard of him. Because he led him into a trap, he led him into a piece of geography, he fought the battle on his territory. You do not fight the enemy on his accusations, you fight them on God's declarations. Amen. I'm going to say what God said about me. Because here's, here's the truth. Sometimes what the enemy says about me is right. I'm not happy about that, but it's the truth. But just because he's right doesn't give him authority to dictate my future. My future has been purchased. I got a soul sign over my life, and if you got a problem with that, go see Jesus. Hallelujah. He's the one that bought me. He's the one that owns you. He's the one that has the deed to your future. And if you got a beef with him on what he paid for me, then go see the buyer. Amen. We've got we've to get this down into our spirits real deep here. Now, let me look at my notes. Okay. So, anyway. So, let's go to verse 1. Let's go clear back to the beginning of the chapter. Now, I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you and absent. You know what that's called? That's called sarcasm. He's saying, you know, this guy that they talk about, that I write a mean letter, but when I show up, I've got nothing to say. Later on, he says, they're going to find out what I have to say. They're going to they're meet me up close and personal real soon, okay? So he's, he's going to answer them a little bit. But look at verse 7 with me for a minute. This kind of gives you a little bit uh, a grasp of what's going on. Now, I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am... <laughs> you are, we were, what happened there? I stuttered. Let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. So what ground was he standing on? Now notice Paul does not give his resume here. He said, listen, you know how many churches I started? You know how many people I baptized? You know how many places I preach in? You know how many demons I cast out? That's not what he does. He says, do you know who I belong to? Some of you, listen to me, you need to look the devil, you need to look the opposition square in the face and tell him who you belong to. 
okay? Because that is the real issue. The real issue is the enemy is trying to distort who you are. He wants the reflection that you look at to be based on facts that are not in evidence, okay? Did you ever see any of these fun house mirrors or these carnival mirrors? You know, you look there and you're, you're you know, it's kind of like, yeah, that's me, but it's kind of really not me, right? It's, 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 it distorts the real image. It's not, it's not a true reflection. By the way, the Bible says that Jesus was the exact representation of the Father, and that there's no shifting shadow in him. And now he wants us to be the exact representation of him. That's what he sees in us. That's what he calls us. Hallelujah. I was watching one of those uh, shows, I think it was Shark Tank, you know, where they have the entrepreneurs on, they come on, I like that kind of stuff. And uh, they had this lady that invented a mirror that made women look skinny, hallelujah. <laughs> and she was trying to market it to clothing retailers. And the, the, these guys and these gals in the Shark Tank, they really got into a heated debate. I mean, some of them thought it was the best thing since peanut butter. Another one said, wait a minute, this is, this is a lie. This is, this is, they're going to go home and look at their mirror and they're going to say something else is going on here, you know? But, but what I'm saying, there's all kind of things that try, are trying to get you to buy into something that is opposite of what Christ says about you. Jesus didn't give his resume to the devil. He said, it is written. At the end of the day, warfare is going to be determined by the word of the Lord. What has God said about me? Hallelujah. Now, he says in this passage in 2 Corinthians 4, a lot of people are more familiar with this particular verse, but maybe not understanding the context, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not just, they're not just human. That word weapons there is translated in other places in the Bible, tools, the tools of our warfare. In other words, he's saying, look, there are spiritual tools out there. Tell me some, somebody tell me what a spiritual tool would be. Prayer would be a spiritual tool. The Word of God is a spiritual tool. The gifts of the Spirit, absolutely. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. How about the name of Jesus? Amen. How about the blood of Jesus? How about praise that brings the presence of God? These are spiritual tools that God has given us to employ to bring heaven to earth. Now, let me just digress a little bit. It's important that we comprehend that there's a difference between being mystical and spiritual. There's a lot of well-meaning people out there that are mystical. They got a spiritual principle that may be valid, but they never connect it to this kingdom. They never connect it to earth. And Jesus said to pray that thy kingdom would come to earth. As a believer, I'm not waiting to go to heaven. I'm trying to bring heaven to earth. I get to go to heaven. That, that, that's a benefit. That's not a purpose. Are you with me? Okay. So I am, I'm an ambassador sent from another nation, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and I'm to represent his rule and reign here. And wherever I go, I'm supposed to tell him what King Jesus said. Hallelujah. And do what King, what King Jesus has called us to be. So I want to translate that. I just don't want to, let me give you an illustration. If I saw a hungry person, I would not rebuke the spirit of hunger. I would get him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. 
If I wanted to go to another nation, I wouldn't just pray against the spirit of unbelief. I would take an offering and send you. Hallelujah. You better watch what church you're hanging around. You might, you might end up somewhere. Hallelujah. This, this is a church that will send you somewhere. All right? Well, you can fill in the blank there, huh? I threw a, threw a softball out there. Hallelujah. You know, we, Pastor Keith mentioned, you know, we've been involved in, in, in the pro-life issue. And I've not been involved in that as a humanitarian. I, I care about women. I care about families. I care about little boys and little girls yet unborn. Definitely my heart is sensitized to that. The value that I fight that on is that these are people that are made in the image of God. And the enemy is doing every, every act, every woman he gets to forfeit a life, every child he steals, he is attacking the image of God. So I'm not just going to rebuke the spirit of murder. I mean, I might do that. I'm just, just not going to do that. Hallelujah. All right? What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring God's presence to the doorstep of hell. So that's what we've done. That's what we've done. See, the word, the next word in that text is this, the weapons of our warfare. The word warfare is the Greek word stratia. What word does that sound like to you? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's one of those direct words. You, you don't need any Greek understanding. You look at that word, you know right away what that word means. The weapons of our warfare are strategic, okay? And if you've been around any military people, I've had the privilege over the years of pastoring some great military men. Uh, Colonel Robert Lozell is now in heaven with the Lord. But Colonel Lozell was an infantry officer in Patton's 3rd Army. He served in South Korea. And he also served in the Vietnam War. One of only about five or 600 men, uh, officers, to make, make that whole transition. So this guy knew what he was talking about. And he, and he taught us, you know, when I would look at things in the Bible and, and be being a godly man and being a man understand war, I, I would ask him questions about these things. And he, he gave me things like there are three elements of war. Number one is firepower. We have firepower. Amen. You're not outgunned when you're facing the enemy, trust me. That's why he never wants to face you. That's why he wants to be over here in this extreme, or he wants to be over here on this extreme, because he doesn't want to face you, okay? Then there is troop movement. How fast can you respond? I call that spiritual obedience. You know, Patton was a great leader, the Battle of the Bulge, if you guys study that. The, the thing that do that, he was able to move those tank forces quicker than anybody. Even Eisenhower said, you can't move them that fast. He said, yes, I can. He was able to move those troops at lightning speed, relatively speaking. And then the third one, as I already mentioned you, is that you pick the battleground. Okay? Listen, church, we have to stop playing defense. You've got to stop playing your defense and reacting. We've got to be first responders, not first reactors. Okay? We've got to respond to the Spirit of God. We've got to see the oppression and the, the, the fact that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we've got to get offensively minded. We've got to have a divine strategy. So like in the pro-life movement, we said, listen, we're not just going to pray against something. We're going to embody that something. And we begin to go to those abortuaries, and we begin to surround them with praying, prophesying. People say, oh, you're going to protest. I said, I'm not going to protest. I'm going to prophesy. Hallelujah. I'm bringing the kingdom of heaven to the doorstep of hell where the enemy is trying to execute his plan. And you know what? That, that's a strategy that has worked. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 
Pastor Keith, I don't know if you know, but you know that that abortuary in Crown Point, Indiana, where the Band of Brothers go, it's closed right now. Hallelujah. It's closed. So for several years, we've been rounding up men, we surround the place, we pray in the Spirit. In other words, we're, we're, we're just not being mystical, now we're being spiritual. Hallelujah. All right? Sometimes, you know, as a pastor, you know, a lot of times you, you, you're involved in people's lives. We were always kind of very hands-on trying to help people, disciple people, get to their next best place in life. And, and, and many times, you know, the whole financial realm was something that would come, you know, God has a lot to say about money. Jesus said, where man's treasure is, his art is. So we always taught people to tithe. You put God first. This is, not, this is the first thing you do. This is the first thing you do. And then you do something really wild, uh, very spiritual, uh, uh, very incredible, and you get a budget. Hallelujah. See, see, that's called a strategy. Hallelujah. My wife, early in our marriage, marriage this is exactly, she, she called it, this is a true story, the maniacal budget book was what she called it. The maniacal budget book. Because we wrote everything down. Because we want to know where every, this must be for somebody today. And we wrote everything. If you bought a, if you bought a piece of gum, you wrote it down. You know? Because, you know, it's not according to what a man doesn't have. It's according to what he does have. That's 2 Corinthians 8. And it's talking about money, by the way. Okay? See, see, that's spiritual. That's a strategy. That's a stewardship principle. Amen? Because that is a piece of warfare, how you're going to stop the thief from plundering you. You're not going to let something go out the back door anymore. Somebody ought to say, that's for me. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. <laughs> you know, uh, I was reading uh, just this, this past week, just some history stuff, and it, I, I came across the fact that it was Raoul uh, Wallensburg's birthday. Now, if you don't know who he was, don't feel bad. I don't think a lot of people know who he was. But Raoul Wallenberg was a Swedish diplomat during the, World War, during the Second World War. And uh, the Hungarian Jews had been spared, relatively speaking, compared like to the Polish Jews and the Austrian Jews, because Hungary was actually an ally of Germany going into the war. And so they weren't so much focused and concentrated on. But as it began, as they lost the Soviet front, they began to take vent, because there is a spirit of murder. I wasn't making light of that. There really is a spirit of murder. And it was, and it was operating. And they began to export. They, then they turned on those people that were supposed to be that, and they were exporting 10 to 12,000 Jews a day now out of Hungary and back into Poland for a second round of persecution. And this gentleman who was a, his family was wealthy, came from a good family, and uh, he had some, you know, diplomatic training. He went to the Swedish government who was neutral and said, would you appoint me as a diplomat in uh, Hungary? Now, there weren't too many people lining up for that job. Can I just say that? Yeah. They, they were coming out of there. And he went there, and God gave him a strategy. He was a Swedish diplomat, supposedly a neutral country, and he began to rent and buy up real estate. I think it was pretty cheap right then. Are you with me? <laughs> I don't think there was a real estate boom. I don't think investors were lined up trying to buy, buy uh, uh, real estate in Hungary at that point, as the Soviets were converging on it and the Germans were trying to defend it, and it became a war zone. And he went around to these buildings, and he put placards on the buildings, official Swedish hospital, official Swedish library, official Swedish laboratory. And he made all these people under diplomatic authority, and he began to bring the Jews in the community, and tens of thousands of them. 
and they begin to print. He, he, didn't even, he didn't even have authority from the Swedish government. He just said he's going to keep them out. Of, and they begin to print passports. And this man got ten, he saved tens of thousands of lives. Why? Because he had a strategy. He understood that he was dealing with something that was very spiritual and very wicked, but there had to be somewhere where heaven touched earth and they move things. Amen? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not birthed on carnality, but they touch the world that we live in. Amen? We just don't pray about things. We Prayer is where you get your marching orders. When we pray, we're not like notifying God that, like, God's not in heaven going, oh my goodness, I didn't know about that. Why didn't, he's not turning to the angel and saying, why didn't somebody tell me about this? No, we are then responding to the Spirit of God. Paul is walking us through what is happening in his life as he's being accused, as he's fighting these distortions about his character, about his identity, about who he is. The enemy is after who you are. Because Jesus has decreed that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus has decreed that you are his beloved. Jesus has decreed that you are complete in him. Jesus has decreed that you've been sanctified, spirit, soul, and body. That's the image. That's the vision. That's the truth. That's the reality. That's the mountain that you're fighting on. Do not lower yourself to fight on the devil's accusations. You know, in Revelation, I believe it's chapter 12, he talks here, he's talking actually about the martyrs uh, that are, have gone before us, and he talks about the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12:10. He says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. Amen. Amen. For the accuser of our brethren, the accuser, if, if, has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God night and day. And if you read the context of this, he's actually talking about the day when the martyrs are justified before God. Hallelujah. Amen. Why were they martyred? Because they were accused. Think about that. You know what the word, you know how we translate the word martyr in some of the New Testament? What's the word? Witness. Witness. We are witnesses. What's a witness? A witness is a reflector. You're a divine reflector. Let me share this with you. There are things that happen in our life, sometimes with our cooperation, sometimes nothing to do with our cooperation. They just happen. There are things that happen. Sometimes they're demonically inspired and manipulated, okay? If you could dare to understand, according to Jesus, what's really happening, what's really happening is the enemy is after your identity. The rest of the passage says, casting down vain imaginations. I'm a loser. I'm poor. 
I'm depressed. You ever notice when you think like that, that you think in technicolor? Isn't that amazing? Vain imagination. And imagination is an image that has taken root. Okay? And you gotta, you know what Jesus said in Matthew 6? Don't take the thought saying, wherewith shall we eat and where shall we sleep and how shall we be clothed? Don't take that thought. And then he goes, because the weapons of Orpha are mighty to regard to the King James's pulling down of strongholds, the New American Standard and other translations say fortresses. Now I live in, in Pennsylvania, about 50 miles outside of Pittsburgh. The oldest highway in America runs right past my house on this, Route 30, the Lincoln Highway. George Washington marched down the Lincoln Highway in the French and Indian War. Okay, all westward expansion literally went by my house. Okay, about every 25 miles on the Lincoln Highway, you'll run into a little town. Pittsburgh's original name was Fort Duquesne because it was a French town, it was a fort town. Okay, Fort Duquesne. Duquesne is still, there's the University of Duquesne that's there now. The town we lived in before we moved recently was called Fort Ligonier. There's still an original fort there. It's a big tourist attraction in our area. It's very, it's been really archaeologically, if that's a word, preserved. But about every 25 miles, there's a fort. Because in fortress warfare, what you do is you take a step, you clear the area, you build a defense, and you possess the area. So the British army who was building the forts at that time against, against the French and Indians, they would, about every 25 miles, they'd build a fort, they'd invite settlers come in, they'd give them land, they'd say, chop down the tree, plow the ground, we'll defend you until you take territory here. And then they'd move down the road and they'd do the same thing. That's exactly a picture of incremental dominion. And so what the enemy wants to do is he wants to fire an arrow into your fortress. Now the fortress he's talking about here is your mind. It's not something up in the heavenlies. It's your mind. It's the battle for your mind. Remember Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified, was, it literally means the place of the skull. So spiritual warfare first and foremost takes place right here. So the enemy fires a shot so that he can possess everything. He wants to have incremental warfare to take dominion over your whole life. He wants to get a thought of unforgiveness. He wants to get a thought of rejection. This is good preaching, listen to me. He wants to get a thought of a misidentity. He wants you to begin to think of your marriage about what it does for you rather than whether it's a reflection for Christ. got to say, wait a minute, I'm not letting that fortress get built. Because the purpose of that fortress is total dominion. It's not one little area of my life. And I've already been bought. I've got no right to give up what Jesus already paid for. There's a deed signed in his blood with my name on it. This is Paul's biography. This is what he was up against. 
I know probably some other people, but I know people that have been accused of doing wrong things that had great motives. Do you know anybody like that? Isn't it amazing in our life? People can do all kinds of things to us, but let them accuse us of having a wrong motive or something. And that just does something in us, doesn't it? It just, it presses, there's a button, there's a scheme that it presses in us, doesn't it? And Paul was literally walking us through this warfare and saying, you know what? The enemy is not going to build a fortress in my life. I'm not going to let that arrow come in. Are you tired of the enemy's accusations? Because when he's accusing you, you know what he's really doing? He's really accusing Jesus. He's really saying what Jesus did for you is invalid. And some of you need to start getting ticked off about that a little bit. You gotta get some Holy Ghost anger stirred up in you and say, wait a minute. I am a child of God. I've been made in the image of God. Everything I am and everything I'm not. Mr. Devil, it is written in Jesus' name that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That I am redeemed and I'm going to say so in Jesus' name. said the key to warfare is knowing what the enemy is after, knowing what his objectives are. His objective is to own you, quite frankly. Don't give in. Just reach in and pull that arrow out this morning. And everywhere there's an if, you start saying because in Jesus' name. Get the light on the mirror and let the mirror reflect accurately. ourselves if we walk away and we forget what manner of man we've seen. It's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Let's engage the enemy. Let's ambush him. Let's ambush him. Amen. We've got the firepower. That's not even a question. He does not want to face you face to face. Trust me. fast as you can when you're obedient to the Holy Spirit, and he can't outflank you. Hallelujah. But he is an enemy, and he does roam about seeking whom he may, not can, devour. He needs your permission. Just revoke your permission today. Understand what's at stake here. Let your identity come from Jesus rather than your resume. It gives you a breath of grace that can sustain you in very 
Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that every vain imagination, every vain imagination, the vanity of it, the outrageous nature of God's devil, the enemy of him, just like he said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, Cast that down in Jesus' name. Every vain imagination we flirt with and we fellowship, Lord, convict us of it, God, that we are housing the enemy. We've invited a terrorist into our life. Every vain imagination, every lie that Jesus died for, there would be a spiritual jealousy in us, God, that would be stirred up in us, God, not our own strength. Hallelujah. as Paul said is that I am Christ hallelujah let that be your confidence today in Jesus name amen